Hi, everybody. This is Art Stevens being your host again for another PR Masters podcast. And I am very pleased to say that today is number 62, a very lucky number because we have a wonderful guest joining us today. She is an old friend, and I'm so glad to have a conversation with her about her amazing career and the work that she has done on behalf of the PR industry. Today's guest is Grace Leong. Grace is the CEO and a partner of Hunter Public Relations, a firm that has achieved a remarkable degree of recognition for its consumer products, which Grace will tell us more about. I've known Grace for a number of years as part of the uh, Public Relations uh, Society of New York, the New York chapter of PRSA, and a number of other activities within the public relations industry. And Grace is a dear friend. We've grown up together in so many ways in the industry, (laughs) and she has a lot to tell you folks because of the success that she has achieved. She is a former member of the Board of Directors of uh, PRSA New York. Grace is an accredited member of the Public Relations Society of America. She was also awarded the PRSA New York John W. Hill Award for Lifetime Achievement, and she's earned a BA degree from the University of Delaware and an MBA from Rutgers University. And she was named Delaware's Outstanding Alumni in 2013 and inducted in the university's Alumni Hall of Fame in 2016 for lifetime personal achievement. Grace Leong is a passionate advocate for the modern practice of integrated marketing communications. And recently, she was named the champion of PR by PR Week magazine, and she elevates the role of PR in the marketing mix by handling some of the world's class clients. And I'm in awe, Grace, to be honest with you, this, uh, some of the companies you've been involved with, 3M, Johnson & Johnson, Church and & Dwight, and so on and so on, Tabasco. You have been uh, a leader in the public relations profession, and, and yet by the same time, I know you do not like to be in the spotlight, but uh, the work that you do obviously sets a leadership example, and for that you are today's PR master. So, Grace Leong, welcome to the PR Master Podcast Series. Art, any chance to get to talk to you? And and you had one thing in my bio, a little incorrect. Um, You say that we were colleagues and we, you know, in the PRSA, in the public relations community in New York City. Actually, not colleagues, Art. If you remember, you were one of my early mentors. So, I just want to set the record straight that... (laughs) Um, I watched you and learned a lot from you, and I count you as one of my earliest mentors. So let's make sure that the record shows that Art Stevens has the title of mentor in my bio, not necessarily colleague, but well, I appreciate can, can we the, be? Can I be a colleague and a mentor at the same time? Well, now maybe, now that I've learned a lot from you and I'm putting a, a lot of that into practice, I mean, Art, remember, you owned one of the most successful firms in the New York community, and and then you turned around and sold it, and it became even a bigger firm, um, but, you know, based on the bedrock that you created. So a lot of what you did, you know, inspired me when I did the same. So thank you okay. for your example and your leadership. Thank you, Grace. Correction maintained and sustained. <laughs> okay, I am your mentor. <laughs> but uh, okay. you, you have we succeeded well on your own, my dear, is all I can tell you. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> right. Grace, let's, let's start by uh, telling us something about Hunter, you know. Uh, uh, who is it? What does it stand for? And why is it different from other agencies? 
Yeah, that's that's really great. Another thing that you mentioned at the top of the my bio is that I'm the CEO of Hunter Public Relations. And that that was true a few years ago, but I'm actually the CEO of Hunter. We changed our name to Hunter um, in 2018 to reflect the evolution of our agency from a public relations consultancy to a full-scale marketing, uh, integrated marketing communications consultancy. But, and I'm not asking you to go back and correct that, but what it kind of is an answer to your question. You know, what is different about our agency and why is it that way? And I usually answer that question in two ways. The first thing is we were founded by women. Um, this agency was founded by Barbara Hunter the very first woman in the United States to own her own, you know, large scale PR firm. Um, and, you know, founded by women means a lot to us in our day to day work and, and, you know, kind of our legacy because it was founded, you know, by, you know, someone who had been discriminated against and put in a box and, you know, expected to do certain things and expected not to do other things. And, you know, being in that position as a leader, I think, really created the values of the firm of, you know, integrity and, um, you know, inclusion, diversity. And that's why we're different, because from the beginning, we were founded by someone who had to make her own way. Nothing was handed to her. She had to earn everything that she, um, you know, set out to to do so earning it has become our manifesto at hunter and why earning it because fundamentally we were founded as a public relations firm and we know that what we have to do is earn attention we can't buy it and we can't own it we always have to earn it so barbara was earning it as the leader of a firm and when i took it over it was all about continuing it to earn it and our manifesto is that we earn consumer attention every single day by doing the best work and coming up with the best insights and therefore the best programs and the best results for our clients. And we can only do that if we have an earning mentality. We can't buy it. We can't own it. We got to earn it. So that means we got to work harder than everybody else. The second part of our manifesto is earning client trust. You know, we're in the trust business. If you're going to help a company, a brand, or even a person, you know, build their reputation, you've got to be an expert in earning trust. And we practice, you know, good, good practices of earning trust with our clients every single day. Because you don't have trust with your clients. You don't have anything. You don't have the work. You don't have the opportunity. So earning client trust is at the core of what Hunter does and what makes us different. And finally, earning staff dedication. Um, you know, I believe I have the best staff in the entire communications business, but I have to earn their dedication every single day, which means I have to create a culture of, of opportunity, of inspiration, of curiosity, of satisfaction. And so earning staff dedication takes a lot of work, too, but we work very hard at it at Hunter, and that's really what makes us different, this kind of overall earning it mentality and earning it with consumers, earning it with clients, and earning it with staff. That's why we're different, and that's who Hunter is. Grace, I've known you for a long time, and uh, I, I, I was happy to be your mentor, and also now your colleague, of course, but your mentor <laughs> originally. <laughs> yes. Uh, and when I first met you, you know, Hunter was a uh, considerably smaller firm, mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I, I don't recall 
if when I met you, you you were part of the agency or you had already taken over. But what I would like to uh, find out from you and and for you to share with our listeners is you you, you seem to be in the right place at the right time. Um, <laughs> obviously, with a great deal of talent, you know, and capability. But uh, what led to the process of Barbara kind of selecting you as an heir apparent, and you're taking the chance of, uh, in effect, buying her out uh, and uh, taking over the agency. And then with the uh, skills that you obviously had all along, built it to, I, I believe that you're over like $30 million now, something like that? Uh, or close billings. to 50 are. Yeah, 50. Oh, my God. <laughs> What happened? Yeah. Where did I lose the other 20? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't worry. We don't count. We just keep our heads down. Yeah, we don't word, count. We're busy to count. Minutes. Well, let's yeah. put it this way. You are quite a bit smaller when we first met. Uh, I don't yeah. mean you physically, but I mean the agency. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that too. <laughs> tell me, tell, yeah, tell me the all... story. What happened? Yeah, I'll tell you the story. It's a good one. And, and I'm reminded because I'm reading a book right now, which is really inspiring to me. It's it's Paul Newman's In Pursuit of the Common Good. And if you haven't read this book, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. Um, and it's all about how he had the inspiration to start the Newman's own um, food company and the foundation. And, and if you read the book, Paul Newman says that the reason he gives it all away and the reason he gives so much away and he founded a company that donates 100% of profits to children is because he was endowed with a lot of luck. The man's like, look, I'm just a lucky person, and that's why um, I feel – and some people are not lucky people, and it's time to balance the scales because some people are lucky and some people are not. And that really hit me because I believe I'm lucky as well, and, um, and I was lucky in meeting Barbara Hunter and get, having that opportunity – I was a student at the University of Delaware. I wasn't sure what I really wanted to do. I took a PR class. I opened a textbook. And in there, I read about a woman who started her own business at a time when women didn't, couldn't even get mortgages or loans or anything. And she decided to start her own business. And that woman was Barbara Hunter. And in the pages of that PR textbook, I just was riveted by her story. And I said, I want to be that person. She's amazing. I want to meet that person. I want to work for that person. So I studied hard in school, and as a result of you know putting my head down and doing the hard work, I ended up somehow becoming the top graduate out of the University of Delaware. And at the University of Delaware, there was a scholarship endowed by Barbara Hunter in honor of one of her um, former employees who had passed away at an early age. So I won that scholarship upon graduation, and I was so excited because I knew that would be my road into Barbara Hunter. And the funny story is, of course, I applied for a job at her firm, which at the time was Dudley, Anderson, and Yetzi, uh, the oldest PR firm in the world. And I got turned down. And, and it was like, what? Wait, I'm the Barbara Hunter, you know, scholarship winner, and I worked hard. And, and they're like, yeah, no, no jobs available. And they gave me the line of, well, when we have a job that's right for you, we'll give you a call. And that was in the beginning of the summer of 1988. And so I looked around and I found some other jobs and I got some offers, but they didn't feel right. So I turned them down. And lo and behold, in September of 1988, I got a call from Barbara Hunter. And she said, remember, I told you I would call you when, you know, I had a job for you and I have a job for you. Will you come in and interview for it? So that job was to be an assistant account executive on the Tabasco account working directly for her. 
And I said, that's it. There's my luck. That, that was my luck striking. So I took the job immediately and I worked outside her office and, you know, luck just shined on me. And I knew I was really the luckiest person in the world. And then just a year later, she comes over to my cube and she says, oh, by the way, I'm going to go start another PR firm. Would you like to come with me? And so here's luck striking twice for me. I said, wait, of all the people in the firm, she's asking me to go with her? Like, and she said, it's not much of an office. We'll only have one account. I won't be able to offer you a big salary or an office or anything or a trajectory, but it's working with me. And I said, sign me up. And, you know, my friends who were also in the same age range and position are like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why? Like, you've got it made here. Like, you're on the way. And I said, I don't know. Working with Barbara Hunter just seems pretty lucky. So I went and um, there we have it, you know, and then we started that agency and, and we just kept, and Tabasco came with us. So, you know, they, there was more luck there that they decided to take their chance with me and Barbara and some other folks and we did it. And that was, you know, 1989 and we've never stopped. So I got lucky. I'm like Paul Newman, you know, and, the, you know, I wish I could replicate that luck for other people. I try and replicate the luck in other ways because, um, you know, it, it just it just happened to hit me at the right time in the right place, as you said. But were yeah. you ready to, to run a business? I mean, you had been working. Oh, no, sir. For Barbara. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> I tell you, so that, it's funny. Yeah. I was just learning the practice of public relations at the time. You know, I was newly minted, you know, on the agency side. I had a bunch of internships at agencies when I was in college, but, you know, not really big leagues. So, you know, but Barbara knew how to run a business. I mean, she knew how to do it, and we were very scrappy. We we had one computer. You know, we bought one computer, and she and I shared it. We'd have to sign it out, you know, if we were working. She got it from 10 to 12, and I got it from 12 to 4. I could take it home on the weekends. And it wasn't even a laptop, by the way. It was a Mac SE, if you remember those. But we were very scrappy, um, you know. And she taught me very early on that, you know, you use the resources you have. We used our family a lot. We, we pulled in my husband. We pulled in her husband. We hired out-of-work actors who were the most brilliant people in the world, but, you know, were acting at night but needed money during the day. So they helped us with presentation skills and they helped us, you know, develop copywriting. So we were kind of like ingenious and kind of startup-y um, in the beginning years because we had to. I remember one year, um, you know, I used my Christmas bonus, which was like $200, to buy a microwave for the office <laughs> We didn't have any place to heat up our food, but we needed that stuff, you know, so we invested back in the business. Um, we eventually bought some more computers. That was very important, but that's how it was. And it didn't bother me at all because we felt like we were making a difference for our clients. Tabasco was our first client. They believed in the work we were doing. Uh, and then we got Kraft was our second client and 3M came on board and, you know, it just blossomed from there and they're all clients today. So it's still pretty amazing that our founding clients are still with us some 33 years later. So what do you think you've learned all these years? You know, you're up to about 50 million. Uh, did you ever imagine Did you ever imagine at some point that you'd have a firm that large with obviously as many? How many employees do you have? 
So we have 225 now, and they're spread across three offices. And then we have, because of the pandemic, we have a lot of now people working all over the globe, you know. Um, So that's been a real boom to our business as well. Um, So, yeah, so New York, London, and Los Angeles, and then, you know, uh, expertise and talent across North America. Um, What have I learned? I learned a lot, you know, and I think... You know, I, I did eventually think I was going to leave PR in the middle of the 90s. I decided, well, maybe I really want to do it the marketing side and not PR. So I went back and to school at night and I got an MBA because I figured, oh, maybe I'll be running this business one day. I have to really expand my knowledge. So I did go back and get more formal training in running a business, which has really proved instrumental in understanding the financial side, the HR side, the negotiation side. So Business school was very, very transformative for me personally and gave me the confidence to kind of, you know, decide that I could be a C-suite person as well as a practitioner of the craft. So that helped. What did I also learn? I also learned what, you know, Barbara taught me on the day one and what my mother and my grandmother taught me from day one is hard work will get you anywhere. It really will. There is no substitute. There's no shortcut. There's no secret sauce for success. It's if you're in it, you're going to win it. Just like the lottery says, one of my favorite advertising slogans is you got to be in it to win it. And, you know, if you're truly in it and your, your head is down and you're working it and you're in service to clients and you're in service to colleagues and you're in service to the work, you're going to win. You just have to be in it. Um, And you have to give it your all. And by all, it means, yeah, you're, you're not having the robust social life. You, your, your work balance at home is roughed up sometimes. Um, you're, you're tired. You're, you know, but if you're, but those are the sacrifices for, you know, you have to make if you truly love what you're doing. And they don't feel like sacrifices if you truly love what you're doing. So, you know, there's no secret to it other than hard work. And you just got to be willing to work harder than the next guy. It's it's just that's the that's the how you win. I mean, it's always been the first in my playbook. So would you say it's a combination of hard work and luck? Well, for me, yeah, the, you you get the lucky breaks along the way. I mean, my yes, I am Paul Newman, and the way that I definitely had luck. But you, by the way, you your salad dressing is delicious, it, Grace. What's that? Your salad dressing is delicious. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll send you a case. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, no, it's, um, it's definitely luck. I mean, but everybody has luck. It's what you do with that luck. You know, Barbara asked me to go start a you know firm with her and work with her at a firm. And, and most of my friends didn't think it was lucky because we were going to a much smaller office. My salary was being cut. That doesn't seem lucky. But if you saw the long-term effects of that decision, it was lucky, right? At the time, it didn't seem lucky on the outside, but it was definitely lucky. Um, But, you know, I also believe you can create your own luck. You know, again, hard work, showing up, being harder working than the next guy, you know, um, getting engaged. I mean, one of the things that made me very lucky, I think, too, was being involved in the public relations society and the industry in general. And by going to events and meeting people and learning from other people like you and some of the other mentors in the that came before me, I was lucky in that I saw what you were doing and was able to learn 
And so is it luck that I was around you? A little bit because you were at the meetings and other people were at the meetings, but, but it was also me making the decision to, to, to step in and, and give my free time to networking and, you know, finding mentors and finding out their stories. So it was a little bit of both. Um, always well, let's talk about mentoring for a moment, because obviously you've uh-huh. had a very strong mentor, you know, and, uh, yeah. you know, uh, you and I took part in programs at, at the PRSA New York, you know, yeah. that uh, featured mentoring. Uh, t- give me your view about mentoring. What, how significant a role do you feel it plays in, in somebody's professional life? I think, you know, it, I think it's a huge, hugely important component of a professional life. You have to, even if you've never met your mentor or even if you've never worked alongside them or had a conversation, you have to pick one. You have to pick an example that you want to follow that inspires you um, because it's, it's kind of like a brass ring. It's out there, and you want to be like that person, and, and you want to operate like them and, and maybe get to where they got or beyond. So, you know, on the practical side, it's, it's you know, in the position I am right now, I – I have a lot of folks who look up to me, obviously, just because of my age and where I am in my career. But it's hard to mentor lots of people, you know. So, um, you know, so when people are, oh, will you be my mentor? You know, it's very hard for me to say, oh, I'd be happy to. So instead of trying to, like, deliver mentorship on a one-to-one basis, you know, I have four children of my own that I have to mentor. And then I've got, you know, lots of staff and then the folks, the, the schools that I support. I can't be everybody's mentor. So, the way I approach mentoring is I try and every single day, you know, act like an example is to be the person who they should be or would want to be. So, you know, coming to work, showing up on time, doing the right thing, making the hard decisions, um, you know, being decisive, you know, making tough decisions, making the easy to celebrating wins so that people see they might not talk to me every single day, but they see by my actions that I'm trying to set a standard for what I think a leader in this industry should be and how they should act. Um, you know, so, so I think mentorship is super, super important. You have to find one, um, but it doesn't have to be one-on-one where you have coffee with these people and you talk to them every day and they give you career advices you, you can have folks like that, but also find some people who just inspire you by what they do every single day. And that's the type of mentor I try and be. Because I know people look at my example and say, oh, I want, I want to do that. How did she do that? And as I said, I can't replicate my experience for anybody. But what I can do is in my everyday, you know, work is show them how to be a leader and, 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 and how it's not easy. It's <laughs> sometimes really hard. A lot of times really hard, but, um, but, you know, really just trying to set the examples. I think that's the way I'm, I'm, I'm best at delivering my mentor, my brand of mentorship. Grace, you're an advocate of uh, quality of life in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. How did this evolve? Uh, I mean, was there such a thing as quality <laughs> of life when you started in the agency world? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure, but, uh, how did how did this evolve in in, in your company, and how, how do you distinguish what you've done from other agencies? Yeah, I, I, this is a tough one because quality of life, the definition is very different to very different to people. 
So right away when you say, you know, quality of life, that means something to me, but it might mean something different to you. So the first thing I try and do is understand what the current definition of quality of life is in the current culture. When we started back in the 80s, uh, you know, the, and the 90s, quality of life meant you come to work, you work 60, 70 hours of work, and that's your quality of life. It's great. Amazing. But, you know, of course, that has evolved over time. And particularly after the pandemic, people are reevaluating their relationship with work and careers and quality of life means a lot different, has a much different meaning. So I think the most important, you know, kind of thing that a business leader can do is understand what does quality of life mean to the people that you lead. Make sure you understand that definition. And then when you share a same definition, then it's no problem because the work that you do together is already based on a, you know, a a shared description of what quality of life means. The, The challenge we have in the public relations industry with, with quality of life is that we're in we're in the service business. You know, we serve at the behest of clients. And it, when you're in the service business, whether you're a waitress, a gas attendant, a lawyer, an accountant, you're serving others. So the quality of life gets in it gets in the crosshairs of that because the client demands are what you have to respond to. So it's it's kind of difficult to have your own definition of quality of life when the client's demanding a lot of your time. So it's it's the service industry is really really tough. So what do we do at Hunter? We make sure that we hire a people who understand our definition of quality of life is that you're going to work harder than the next guy and you're probably going to work harder than any of your friends who are not in the service business. And if that's okay with you and that comes natural to you and that makes you happy, then good. There's a role for you here at Hunter. But if your quality of life definition is not like that, that you don't want to be the last guy home on a Friday night or the, or work on a weekend, that's probably not the industry you want to go into. It's not necessarily the agency. It's the, it's the industry. We're a service industry. So when we hire talent, we always look for and identify people that have careers in the service business. They are waiters. They were actors. They may be lawyers. They're CPAs. They were folks who are naturally service-minded so that when quality of life comes up, they already know that because of who they are and what they want from their career, quality of life has a very different definition for them. And someone who's never worked in the service business. And I know that's a long, convoluted answer to what quality of life means, but I think having a shared definition and an understanding that the service business will always compromise quality of life is where you have to start when you are trying to build a staff and a culture um, that respects quality of life, but a certain definition of quality of life. I hope that is makes there a difference sense. Is there a difference between, let's say, providing service on the on the agency side as opposed to the corporate side? Well, that's a good question. As you know, I'm a career agency person. I've had basically one job, one job all my life. <laughs> so I can't really comment on the corporate live side, but I, that's what I hear. You know, I, I understand that on the corporate side, there's fewer external demands uh, on your quality of life than say in the, in the agency business where we have four or five clients at once 
they all have individual cultures and definitions of quality of life and what they want their agency to service them or how they want their agency to service them. So it's a lot more balancing, I think, in the agency life than there may be if you're just working for one company. Um, I've heard that myth, um, but I, I would have to ask one of your other PR masters to confirm what it's like. You know, I, I've had great quality of life. And when people tell me, you know, like, how do you do it? Um, I always credit one thing. I have four children, as you know, um, they're all grown. They're in their twenties now. And, um, but what really afforded me the opportunity to have a family life, a very rich family life, as well as a family life on my work side is my partner, Todd, my husband of now 30 years. Um, He's also a very service-minded person, he's a military man and now a Wall Street trader. And, you know, he was such a great partner to me. I, I always say to my mom and dad, I picked the right guy because he just allowed me to be me. And for we shared the same values on working hard. But when it comes to family, we step in and we share responsibilities. And, you know, he was... You know, he he never minded me being working hard or gone on weekends, and he always took care of the kids and, you know, allowed me to have, you know, a professional life as well as to be mom at home. So there's my luck, too, shining on me. Yeah, I picked the right guy. <laughs> and um, I know not everybody's that lucky, but I, I, certainly, I certainly was, and I, I still am, and I'm very grateful to my husband for for all the latitude he provided me. Mm-hmm. Well, all I can say is, Todd, thank you so much for sharing grace <laughs> with the PR industry. It's our gain as well as your gain, believe me. Oh, I mean, he has uh, a few choice words about the PR industry. He would he would <laughs> always come at the end of the night or cleaning up after an event or, you know, I'd be on a plane flying someplace for a client meeting and or I was on some stage on New Year's Eve, you know, picking up confetti after a big client event. And he said, wait, wait, you have to stay and do this? Don't you hire people to do that? And I would say, <laughs> I am the people they hire, and I'm happy doing this. So <laughs> go back in the car and wait for me. And he's like, okay. <laughs> he doesn't work in this business, so he doesn't know. <laughs> yeah. Grace, you've had, you've had some clients for many years. What's your longest-running client at the moment? Tabasco. Tabasco founded this agency, the McElhaney Company, the makers of Tabasco Pepper Sauce. They came over and they are our founding client, and they've been with us since day one, since March 1st, 1989. And they are Gosh. still a client today, and now we do all their global marketing across the planet um, and still as strong as ever. That client is means everything to us, and it's probably one of the longest standing relationships in the business. We can't think of anybody who's had anybody longer than we have, but so Tabasco, 3M came on very soon after that. Um, Johnson and Johnson, Church and Dwight. You've mentioned some of them at the top of the call, but yeah, we. And it all comes back to our manifesto, which I, I spoke about earlier. Is or earlier is earning client trust every single day. We think how lucky we are to have clients like that on our roster, and we work in a way that earns their trust or we try and earn their trust every day, not at the end of every program, not at the end of every fiscal year. It's every day. How am I going to earn the trust of that client? And even as the clients turn over and there's new people coming in on their end, we start all over again. We're going to prove to them that nobody does it better. No one services them better 
No one gives them the better ideas and no one gives them the better business results than Hunter. And that's what we do. And that's the sauce. Everybody always asks me like, wow, look at those clients. Look at that legacy. It's service, 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 building trust every day. That's marvelous. How we do it. Really. That's, that's really a, a testament to you and, and your agency and also a testament to the power of, uh, of service, 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 as you put it. Service. Uh, We're race. in the service business. Mm-hmm. Yep, that, that is for sure. Um, Grace, how, how has public relations changed? You know, since you started <laughs> in it, you know, you've obviously grown your agency into a world-class organization, uh, but obviously public relations has changed along the way. Uh, what, what do you think are these most significant things that have happened to the industry itself? Yeah, we used to. Um, I don't know if you remember Phyllis Burlow. Do you remember Phyllis? Um, I sure do. Art. I sure do. Yes, so, I do. Phyllis Thurlow. Yeah. One of my early mentors, too. I remember working with her down at the Public Relations Society in the closet. We were stuffing envelopes and she was at the same time uh, quizzing me for my APR exam. And I was like, who better than to quiz me than, you know, the doyon herself, Phyllis, Phyllis Thurlow. <laughs> and of course, she was wearing a hat. And her, you know, she had her makeup on and her full face of makeup. And I'm like, Phyllis, we're just stuffing envelopes. Why did you get dressed for this? And, you know, she was like, well, great. She always got to look good. I'm like, you know what? You know what, lady? You're absolutely right. And she was just so inspiring. But she, she was quizzing me for my APR exam. And she told me a funny saying. And she said, she said, we used to say good advertising you pay for, good public relations you pray for. And that is such a funny saying, um, and it's really stuck with me for a long time because it's true. We used to have to pray for good publicity. You know, you'd send out a pitch or a press release or you'd come up with a program ideas and you just hope someone would pick it up and run it and, you know, give, and, you know, you could earn that publicity. So we were praying all the time. But now in the modern practice of public relations, some 30 years later from when Phyllis used to tell me that, we don't have to pray for it anymore because the, the evolution um, and the sophistication of public relations has really, we're in a Renaissance period. You know, we have so many more tools. We have so much more sophistication. We have more insights. We have more measurement. We have a, a, a focus on data and insights and it's no longer just like putting your finger in the air and hoping for something to happen. We can actually manifest things with data and insights and research and good thinking and good partnerships. So what I love about the evolution is the sophistication that has really evolved in the last 30 years so that we're really a a true business function. You know, the definition of public relations has always been it's a it's a business function, you know, that connects um, organizations with key publics. It truly is a business function. We have all the trappings of a true business function with measurement and analytics, and a focus on data. And, you know, it's just, it's made the profession just so much more sophisticated and, um, you know, valuable, frankly, than it used to be kind of just little more art than science. And now we're both art and science. And that makes me really happy and curious and inspired to keep going and seeing what's next. Grace, what do you what do you consider your style of management to be now that you you know you you have hundreds of employees as opposed to oh. two or three way back then? So uh, how how did your style of management evolve, and what do you consider it to be today? 
Well, it's always been somewhat by example. You know, I kind of said that before. I figure if I come in every day and I'm at my desk and I have my, you know, pen in my hand, my keyboard open, I'll show people that I'm not like the smartest person in the room. I may be one of the luckiest, but I'm also the hardest working. And I am always going to show up. I'm always going to be on time. I will never, you know, I don't take much time off. I'm always there. I'm just there. And and hopefully by seeing me, like today, it was our, one of the, this is our first day back in the office. So all the staff came back today. And I noticed that the trash can in the kitchen was overflowing. And I hated overflowing trash cans. But, you know, we don't have the janitors to be honest. I, I was taking the trash out of the trash bin and knotting it up and putting it outside the door. And a young woman who hasn't met me yet, she said, Oh, do, do you work in the kitchen? I said, yeah, we all work in the kitchen. That's what we do. The trash cans overflow. We just take it out. And then she came back to me later. She goes, Oh, wait, you're the CEO. I said, yeah. She goes, why were you taking out the trash? I'm like, because it was overflowing. I mean, and that's how I operate. Like no job is going to be beneath me, not in an organization where everyone supports each other. So I try and lead by example, not because I want to show off or just, but just because I believe it's the way to do it. You know, if there's a job to be done, do it. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And, yeah. you know, now that there's many more people and, you know, I also try and be very encouraging because this job has never been harder and um, more demanding. And my job as someone who's been doing it for a long time is to provide the support and the encouragement to keep going. I do worry about the endurance of the current workforce overall. Um, the endurance is really taking a hit these days after COVID. So I want to teach people, you know, that they can keep going and there will be setbacks and it will feel bad for a period of time, but it will get better. And so really operating from a position of encouragement and example is, I guess, how I would define um, my leadership today. But your agency continues to grow despite uh, the uh, <laughs> pandemic. So my next question is, uh, yes. what do you think is, is the reason for your growth? And what is your vision for the future? Where do you want to take the agency? What do you aspire it to do going forward? Well, as I said, I'm going to bring it back to luck. You know, a lot of the the growth that we've seen in the last two years for Hunter, you know, we've grown, we grew 30% from uh, 19 to 20, and then between 20 and 21, another 33%. So huge growth for us. And that's a lot of luck. Um, you know, the pandemic, uh, you know, put public relations as a profession in high demand across everywhere. You know, people needed companies, brands, C-suites, needed people that could help them think clearly and decide on clear messages and get those messages out there, whether they were for their employees, for their customers, for their consumers. And, you know, C-suite turned to public relations. So, and then the second part of the look is that our agency is in the consumer products business and always has been. And consumer products are very recession-proof, especially food, wine, spirits, housewares, and, if, and, and uh, healthcare over-the-counter medications. And if you think about all those categories during the pandemic, that was in high demand. If we could keep the supply on the shelves, then those products were doing really, really well because people go back to the basics. They need the basic needs. 
And where we don't do well is, you know, the consumer products business doesn't do well in booming times, in recessionary times and in tough times, consumer products do really well. And since we founded the agency with an expertise in consumer products, again, luck, back in the 90s, we were able to sustain the two biggest economic dips in this country's history, 2007, 2008, for our biggest years until the pandemic, which were clearly our biggest years ever as an agency. So a little bit of luck of being in the right categories and also, you know, the luck that communications as a discipline gained tremendous respect over the last two years because of the pandemic, because of the social uprising, because of the election. Everybody needed to figure out a new narrative, what to say, how to say it. And guess who steps in? People who know how to communicate with publics. That's what we do. So I'm really proud that the industry finally got its moment. Grace, I just got a couple more questions for you. Uh, I would be sure. uh, I would I would be inappropriate if I were not to ask you questions about your views on diversity and inclusion, what uh-huh. your feelings about them, both as a profession and in terms of you know the country itself. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, being a woman who who started in a business that was predominantly run by men, working for women all my life, you know, I, and, and being raised by two single, um, you know, my mother was a single mother and, and my grandmother the same way. So, you know, to me, you know, gender has never been an issue for me. I mean, I always just felt like this world was run by women <laughs> because that's and so, you know, I never really felt any effects of the gender challenges that other people feel. Um, I have two sons and I have two daughters. And, you know, um, so I worry about each one of them and, you know, how they're. But I think on, on their levels, you know, they're a generation behind me. They don't see it as much as we do on the gender equality. I think it's I think we've made great strides there. And we should probably stop talking just about men versus women and, and talk about what we can do together. That's my feeling on gender equality. I think we're, we're getting there very fast. Um, when it comes to, you know, anything to do with, um, you know, inequalities based on, you know, skin color or religion, I mean, that, that is just, you know, to me, a crime of humanity. Um, I'm not really sure why we were created to hate each other because of what we look like or what faith we practice. Um, my husband is Chinese. My oldest son is African. We have a very um, diverse family life. So, and, and we feel it when we go out as a family, like people look at us like, what's that? But, you know, we, um, we, we, we talk about it as a family and, you know, we, we are able to deal with it as family, but in, in business, it has no, you know, diversity has to be part of the agenda. You have to look and operate and be, you know, reflective of the times. And there's, you know, at Hunter, we are 30% non-white, which means, you know, we've always been very diverse because we founded uh, in 2000, our diversity practice where we were always marketing to Hispanic and African-American communities. So we were kind of ahead of the curve in that space. Um, And so when all the noise started coming up again, 
I was like, wait, what's going on here? Isn't the rest of the world like this? And it's not. And I kind of live in a little bit of a bubble because my life is like, is very diverse and my professional life. So I had to do some thinking about that and say, what can I do to make sure it's more than what it is now? And so we did some more work. We looked internal at Hunter and, um, but again, our numbers were pretty good already, but we know we can do more about inclusion. You know, diversity is one thing, you know, making sure that you're surrounded by diverse opinions and diverse folks and, but it's inclusion that we're really working on now because that's the most, because the, the, the feeling of being excluded or on the outside of a community is I think more tragic than being discriminated against because of what you look like. Because I think inclusion affects a lot more people than maybe just diversity. So at Hunter, we're working on making sure that all people feel included in everything we do, whether it's a company event or an idea that we're generating or a movement that we're getting behind. Um, inclusion is, you know, the real magic, I think, because diversity, you can, you can, you know, you can work on and get accomplished things quicker, but it's the inclusive feeling that I think will keep, um, will keep people together if everybody feels that they have a place at the table at the place at the in the company well said grace really well said and uh, uh i have just one final question for you before we end this mm -hmm. so this uh, really motivating session that i've had the opportunity to share with you uh, uh, okay we're, we're, really really very very much okay so. where, where do you see grace leong in the years ahead Oh my goodness. That is a very good question. I, I thought you're much smarter than I are and much more accomplished. So I'd like someone to write the final chapter. I, I, I don't really know. I'm, I'm very content with what I do now. Um, I still think I have things to offer. Um, if, even if it just means taking out the trash, I mean, I'll do that job for the rest of my life. It's easy. Uh, if I wasn't running a public relations agency, I would absolutely be running a cleaning service because I'm really, really good at cleaning houses and so I might do that in my second act um, you know and I think where I'll end up being in 10 years from now if you and I are talking I will probably be living outside or in the cul-de-sac next to one of my four children I absolutely adore my kids and wherever they go I want to be in their lives and near them they don't they will die, they will cringe they'll say mom that's so cringy by saying that, but I just want to be wherever they are. So they're, you know, they're still, you know, sorting out their professional lives right now. So once they kind of anchor, I, I might be in a, you know, buying the house next door. <laughs> I don't know if they allow me. We'll see. <laughs> and, and Hunter PR will be about a million dollars in revenues by that time, I would imagine. <laughs> well, Hunter PR is no longer here, but yes, Hunter will definitely be still hunting. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I can tell you that. I can tell you Hunter. What, what's great here is I definitely feel that there's a next gen um, right behind me, and I'm very, very proud of the work they do every day, and I'm inspired by it. So, oh, I know Hunter will be, it's in good hands. It's definitely in good hands. Um, so maybe I'll come to Sanibel, Art, and you and I can have some always, um, good times in welcome. Florida. <laughs> we can share you, more war stories about, about our careers <laughs> in public relations. 
<laughs> and then look at what they're doing now and be in awe, right? Of what? Wow, what do you exactly, think of that? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. A powerful, yeah. powerful industry and a and a uh, well chosen one by both by both you and me. <laughs> I can that's tell you that. That's a date, Art. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're on, Grace. Hey, Grace, thank you so much. Really, this was really a lot of fun, as I knew it would be, because you you yes. are indeed uh, a a a good friend and a. I'm going to use the word a good colleague. <laughs> I think I've earned yeah, the right now right. to call you a colleague. I've gone beyond yes, mentor. As a, <laughs> as a good public relations practitioner, I have to set the facts straight. Or yes, you had that first fact incorrect. Um, but now that we're straight, I, I too, I'm I'm happy to be number 62 in the Masters podcast series. And thank you for having me on. It was great fun talking to you as well. Thanks. Thank you, Grace. It was a wonderful number 62. And on behalf of our PR Masters podcast listeners, thank you all. Thank you all for joining us today. And, Grace, as always, I appreciate your candor, your directness, and your eloquence. You are indeed a PR master. So thank Thank you for joining us. And thank you all for joining us today. And I am Art Stevens, your host. I'm managing partner of the Stevens Group. I am signing off now. We'll see you next time at the next PR Masters podcast. And take care, everybody. Goodbye.